You're listening to the Jason Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Experience all the excitement of the casino on your desktop or mobile device at PlayAlberta.ca. Sign up and receive a $50 welcome bonus using the promo code CASINO50. Fresh off of a, a trip to the uh, Mullet Arena. Uh, Ty, how would you describe the game day experience at the Mullet Arena? Oh, man, I really didn't know what to expect coming into it. Like, I didn't know if it was maybe going to be as bad as people said. I talked to some buddies who had gone to watch non-Oilers games before, and they just said it was electric. And, like, the outside of the arena just looks like a rec center. It's like if you walked up to, like, Millennium Place or whatever. It's just like a dome and or like a little box. And you go in, and I walked up the first little flight of stairs to go look in the lower bowl, and I just laughed. Like, I couldn't even control it. It's like, how is this an arena where an NHL team actually plays. So on one hand, I'm so happy I went out there with the Oilers Nation crew and we did our big trip because you might not might not ever get to see an, a, a, the it's Oilers true. play in an yeah. arena like that after this year. So for like a once in a lifetime kind of experience, it was awesome. The atmosphere was great. It was packed with Oilers fans. Every sight line you could have had was unbelievable. There's also kind of like the non-Oilers side of me that's like, this is wildly embarrassing for the NHL. Like you're just kind of sitting there being like, how is this a real NHL arena that these, this team plays 41 games out of? So I saw both sides of it. Yeah, I agree with you on the, the experience factor. I don't know if you'll ever experience a game with less than 5,000 and it's sold out. Right, like, mm-hmm. hey guys, we're sitting in the top row today. Oh yeah, what row? 13. Like it's, you know, it's just different. It's a, it's completely different. Everybody's close there for sure. Tickets are obviously, uh, you know, not as cheap as they were in the in the old uh, arena in Arizona. But man, I just, I wonder if that was the last hurrah, uh, you know, for them. You know, you haven't heard anything, and the longer you hear nothing, is not good for Arizona. No, because you, I can't imagine a scenario where the NHL lets them get no. into the summer without a permanent plan, and if they go into the summer without a permanent plan. They're they're on the first train over to Utah. So, yeah. unfortunately, like, I did feel bad for some Coyotes fans in there because some Oilers fans were really giving it to them. People were breaking out the Utah chant. I was like, oh, my God, these poor people just want to watch the last few games they have of their Arizona Coyotes. But it's it's not looking good. I, I highly doubt we'll be able to do another nation vacation out to Arizona next year. Uh, the orders, it was not a great second period, but uh, they turned up the heat in the third and uh, dominated. King gets two. Uh, Hyman scores, uh, Fogel and empty netter, and the uh, orders win uh, consecutive games for the first time since their uh, 16-game heater. And Warren Fogel said that was pretty important. They needed that as a group. They know they haven't really put together many good 60-minute efforts, although I would argue the Dallas one was pretty good. But, you, you know, you look at it tonight. So here's my question for you. Nugent Hopkins uh, is sick at home. I'm guessing he's not going to play. The coach said he's questionable. You know, we're into the NFL uh, style of uh, injuries there. But he, he's he's sick, um, you know, could he play? Probably. I, I don't think he's going to play. So Evander Kane would be my logical guess as a guy who replaces him on the first unit power play. Fogel's going to replace him on the on the five-on-five five to start with Hyman and, and McDavid, but they'll put Kane there. And Kane's probably a better outside shooter. He's not as good of a distributor, no 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 doubt in my mind. But like, do you see anybody else that you could realistically see going on the top unit? No, I don't think so. And I was trying to think about this earlier. Some people are like, well, Corey Perry seems to be working or was working well with McDavid and Dreisaitl at five on five. Maybe you put him there. But I don't think that makes a lot of sense to have Perry in that spot on the far side, because like you said, he's not as good of a pure finisher as Evander Kane. No one outside of that kind of core group for the Oilers is. So I don't know, unless you're going to do something really drastic, like move Zach Hyman to the nude spot and put someone else in front of the net. But 
again, it's not like Nuge is going to be out for two or three weeks. If that was the case, I'd say, yeah, experiment a little, see what you can do. It's one game. So it makes way more sense. Just plop Evander Kane in there and get through the one game. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, you don't need to overthink this. It's one game and early in the year. Uh, I think when McDavid was out, Kane was on the first unit power play anyway. So that's why I think it's a, it's going to be. Uh, Evander Kane. The Boston Bruins, no Hampus Lindholm. He's out week to week for the uh, Bruins. So they got uh, two young bucks on the uh, the back end that uh, I'm guessing Drysaddle might see more of because I'm thinking the uh, McAvoy-Matt uh, Greslick combination will we'll try to get the uh, the McDavid matchup. But, you know, this Boston Bruins team is good, Tyler, but they're, like they're coming in here not dominant and obviously now they're a little bit banged up like this i know edmonton's been on a basically a seven game road trip with one game at home in between and so sometimes it's hard to get your legs but the coach wisely game the day off yesterday i this is a game where i still think edmonton should put the hammer down on a team that's not playing very well right now yeah four four and two in their last 10 and some of the underlying numbers aren't great for the boston bruins either like i was just kind of clicking through natural statrix seeing how they were doing as of late i haven't watched a ton of bruins hockey and what stands out like 74 shot attempts at five on five against the dallas stars that's what they gave up they've given up three goals at five on five now in back-to-back games as well like heading into the year a lot of people wondered about the depth of this Bruins team. Obviously, Coyle and Zaka have done a great job stepping up with Bergeron and Krejci gone. But those two step up and it kind of creates a bit of a hole underneath them. And then on top of that, you start running into some injuries on your blue line, which are obviously going to hurt you at five on five. And I don't wonder if this is a Bruins team that's starting to run out of gas maybe a little bit. And with the injuries, again, you lose an extra little bit of depth and you were already thin in that department. Like, they are a flawed team right now. I still think they're going to be a tough outcome playoff time and all of that stuff. But for right now, this is a Bruins team that, like you said, is very, very vulnerable. The Oilers have been dynamite on home ice. It's just going to be a matter of for Edmonton playing. A, a, this is so cliche, but a full 60 tonight. Like they just keep on getting caved in the second period. And against Arizona, you can get away with it. Against Anaheim, they got away with it. Against a team like Boston, if you spot them three goals in the yeah. middle frame, they're good enough and well-coached enough with Jim Montgomery that they'll clamp it down in the third period. They're not going to give anything back to you. So that's going to be what I'm watching for tonight is can the Oilers have that kind of killer instinct and keep it sustained. So wait, you're telling me that Boston won't ice the puck three times in the first minute and a half protecting a one-goal lead? God, that was terrible. Like I was like, what's Arizona doing? Like, oh, man. Now, I'm not saying the coach told him to do it, but it, it didn't look like they had a very aggressive approach in the third period. No, and like there was that, like the turnovers were absolutely brutal as well. I criticized Coach Lee. I thought maybe the timeout should have came a goal earlier for the Coyotes, and maybe you could have calmed things down. But it was insane to watch. And I again, I'll go back to that Anaheim game because it was a very similar script where like the Oilers are down in the game, it's tied, whatever, and then against these bad teams, Edmonton just has the ability to okay, you made two mistakes, boom, boom, we burned you on both of them, and look, we're right back in it. So I guess. Having that trait and that confidence is a good thing for the Oilers. It would just be nice from a fan perspective if it didn't have to come to that as often. I'm sure Chris Knobloch would uh, be a lot more relaxed during games if going into every third period. It wasn't like, what the hell did I just watch for the last 20 minutes? So, Ty, I uh, obviously everybody knows uh, you know what I've thought about the Oilers and, and Dowd and, and Beck Malenstein. And, of course, Dowd got injured. Still no word on, on how serious, if it's that serious of an upper body injury. But... Um, I, I was looking at, at time on ice. I've been mean, looking at it and I was looking at Vegas's deployment. And to me, you know, it's the chicken and the egg in Edmonton. Everyone's like, oh, you got to upgrade your fourth line. But when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, even, who, even if you get really good fourth liners, 
are they really going to play that much? So that's my question now. Yeah, I could upgrade the fourth line, but it might be upgrading to guys that aren't going to cost you anything rather than a guy like Dowd who's really good and the best of the available players because if you've got to give up that much but you're not going to use him, does it make it worthwhile? What do you think? And yeah, like I debated this with Frank today on our uh, on our daily live show, and he was like, "Listen, with guys like Dowd and Lawton, you're going to be paying a premium. But for a team like Edmonton, what's the percentage better that they actually make you? And it's you know compare that to some of the high end wingers that are available. Does making that shift where Leon Drysaddle's on the ice better and more productive? Does that actually pay off more because there's you know 25 of those shifts in a game versus the third and fourth line who are getting 10 to 12? Like I see the logic there, but I also look at an Edmonton team that. I mean, last year in the playoffs against Vegas, like the offense outside of Connor and Leon doing their thing, the offense dried up. So I just think creating a third line that can, you know, not just break even, but consistently outscore the other team. I think that would do wonders for them. And I keep going back to the point you made. We've talked about it on this show. You talked about it on my show as well. If you can take a handful of hard defensive shifts away from Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle every game, does that just free them up a little bit more? And does that make... Even though Dowd won't be on the ice for that, his impact will be felt in a weird way. So, I don't know. I really warmed up to the idea of going out and getting a high-end third-line center. And, you know, that'll push someone down. It will, in turn, hopefully make your fourth line a little bit better if, you know, Dylan Holloway or someone else are playing regular shifts down there and driving play a little bit more than the guys who currently are. But I'm really warming up to the idea of a bottom six centerman. Even if it is just a little bit of a percentage of an upgrade, I think it's worth it for this team. Yeah, no, it's well, it would be worth it, but it might not be like, you know, maybe the the Sunquist and the uh, and the Sam Carricks are the upgrades uh, because you're like, well, it's going to cost us way less and we're probably not going to use them that much anyway. So uh, let's do that. It's still an upgrade, but it's not a costly upgrade. And I wonder if that's it. The, the, the challenge is and I really think right now, if I'm the Edmonton owners, I am closely monitoring the New Jersey Devils. Now, I've heard that the Devils and Toffoli's camp are, are trying to, you know, they're. New Jersey would like to sign him, but, and they want to stay in the hunt. But if that doesn't happen here in the next two weeks, Tyler Toffoli comes on the market. He, to me, of all the right wingers, and Jake Gunsel's a left shot, I think Toffoli is the best fit for this team. Yay or nay? 1,000%. I just, a guy who plays well in the playoffs, he has that kind of experience. I just think his his combination of size and speed and everything Tyler Toffoli do just fits in so perfectly next to Leon Dreisaitl. Like when they when Dreisaitl and Yamamoto would have runs of being really successful, it's because Yamamoto was just a dog on the forecheck and he'd get in there even though he didn't have his size. He'd play in the tough areas, force turnovers. Like Tyler Toffoli is Yamamoto on hypothetical steroids, right? Like he's just that much better at everything he did but we kind of know that player archetype fits well with Leon Dreisaitl. So I think upgrading that right wing spot, if it's a guy like Toffoli, I think that also makes a lot of sense. And again, it would allow you to shift someone down to the third line, maybe make your third line a bit more competitive and actually be able to score and then shift someone down to the fourth line. So the ripple effect would still be there. I just, I look at New Jersey and where they're sitting right now. I have a hard time thinking. I like. I think it's more likely they add Markstrom and just keep pushing and trying mm. to get in versus yeah. you know even if they're five points out being like ah, maybe we should just pull the plug on this thing because they got to catch Detroit or Tampa right that's kind of you know it's not like or Philly yeah yeah Philly I guess yeah yeah I forgot about Philly <coughs> so there there is a that's a possibility there um, you know the Jack Hughes return definitely uh, helps a bit really in the last ten games. They've gained no ground on Philly. 
It's that, and so they're still five back of them, right? They've both gone four, five, and one. The good news for New Jersey is they didn't lose ground in those 10 games because the Flyers didn't take advantage of it. But, yeah, Philly's definitely uh, in there. And they're still battling the Islanders. Um, you know, like uh, Washington, God, I give them credit, man. Every time I count them completely out, they find a way to win a few more games. I still don't think they can do it. But all of a sudden, Ovechkin's scoring again, Ty. Um, so I have a fun goal thing for you. So how many goals does Ovi finish with? And uh, Austin Matthews, does he get to 70 goals? Ooh, so Ovi, now he's on pace for 26, and he has this nice little heater, this run of eight goals in eight yeah. games, popped home two last night. I, I, I'm going to say Ovi can go out and hit the 30-goal mark this year. For him to get 14 more goals in his final 31 games of the year, that's still under that half a goal per game pace, so under a 40-goal pace from now to the end of the year. I think Ovi can get to 30, and honestly, with Matthews, the big thing will be health. It always is with Austin Matthews, but everything that guy touches is right now oh, feels God. like it's winding up in the back of that. Like it, yeah. it's an absolutely mind blowing run. Like this is honestly on the level of McDavid doing the 150 point thing. If Matthews can find a way to get to 70 and I say he does it 21 more goals. And again, 29 games, that's significantly worse than his pace of what he's doing right now. So I think Matthews is going to do it. It'll just be really interesting. If he pops home a couple more hat tricks, Gregor, we're sitting there talking about a guy who could maybe finish in the mid seventies, which is even crazier. Oh yeah, if he gets to uh if he can get to 75, he'll be what is it? The 6th player with the uh, or 7th with the uh, with 75 or more goals. The last guys of course, both uh, in 1993, McGillney and Solani, you got Phil Esposito, Hall, Lemieux, Gretzky of course, um in the in that group. So, it's pretty rare and it's just like McDavid could like McDavid could get to 100 assists, which is even more rare because you've only got Gretzky 11 times uh, or once, Lemieux once. Like Both of those will be great chases to watch. right? And could Nathan McKinnon, who, who needed an empty net or assist, but he's got 27-game point streak at home to start the year. Could he go perfect 41 home games, 41 uh, games with a point? I'd be unreal. That, yeah, I'd be unreal. I'd actually think if you were to put them in a list, so McDavid 100 assists, Matthews, 70 or 75 goals, whichever one, and McKinnon 41 for 41. I would say the biggest long shot is probably McKinnon just because like Matthews and McKinnon or Matthews and McDavid, they can have two off nights every yes. couple of games or whatever. And still the pace can work itself out with McKinnon. I mean, he dodged a big bullet yep. last night, but you have one off night or you miss a game because of an illness or something. It's toast. So if I had to rank them, I'd say the McKinnon one is the least likely of happening. But yeah, it'd be really sweet to have those three guys, three faces of the league, Hart Trophy candidates this year. Maybe they're the three finalists, and they're all chasing different parts of history. That'll be really fun. Yeah, and then you throw in Kucherov, who currently is 36 points ahead of his closest teammate. 36 already. Like, it's he might end up 50 points ahead of a teammate, man. Like, that's how can you not have him in the conversation? Yeah, like the Hart Trophy this year. I know some people like Hellebuck, and me personally, if a goalie does, if he misses 25% of the season because he's not playing, that rules him out for me. That's just my thought, but that's that's too much of the season where you have no value to your team when you're not playing. That's kind of how I see it. So that's fair. Ty, uh, enjoy the game tonight. We will uh, chat with you next uh, Wednesday here and uh, tomorrow on the rundown. There you go. Thanks, Greg.